we can see here when the Apostle Peter had an opportunity to preach his first Christian sermon after Christ ascended to heaven, what did he preach? He preached Christ. Christ crucified and Christ's resurrection. We can see here as we look at this sermon, this first sermon, the first Christian sermon we can call it, as in Christ has now ascended to heaven. They have the gift of the Holy Spirit empowering them. This is the first public declaration of truth. Verse number 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these men are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And we'll pray right there. Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to preach Christ to know Christ, to believe in him, to declare it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you would give me wisdom as I expound upon your word. If someone is here today and they do not know you as their savior, I pray that you would show them and convince them the truth of what is being preached. We love you and pray that you would bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Douglas Sean O'Donnell pastors a church in Illinois in the United States. He wrote an article and he said this, as a pastor, every week I'm tempted to cheat. I'm tempted to disregard either the Bibles, the Bible, or the principles of rightly interpreting God's word, or both. So, what it says, or how to interpret what it says. I'm tempted, as all pastors are, to bypass the Bible and biblical exegesis, or being able to understand what it's saying, rightly dividing the word of truth, not taking it and twisting it to mean what we want it to mean, 
but letting it say what it says is what he's saying. To bypass the Bible and biblical exegesis in an effort to wow the congregation with anything and everything but the Bible. One, of tem- one temptation of the pastor is to cower under cultural pressures. I have a pastor friend, he says, who the three Sundays before he left one church for another, God moved him to another church, he preached a mini-series entitled something like this, The Three Things I Always Wanted to Say to You, But I Was Too Afraid to Say. He was leaving, so he was going to say it. Now we might chuckle at that, but we all know that the twin pressures not to offend and easily to appease are no laughing matter. We all know the countercultural contents of the Bible. And he gives a short list. Those texts are passages on Christ exclusivity, only salvation through Christ. Christian cross-bearing, we must deny ourselves and follow Christ. The sinfulness of sin, it's not a mistake, it's sin. And the last one, the justice of God's judgment. Many people are looking for a church that do not say those four things. They want a church and we can find them in this city. They're very easy to find. They are much more sensitive to culture than they are to Christ. They're much more sensitive to what popular opinion says than what God's word says. They pick and choose the passages that are taught from, even to the point where I've heard stories, you go to some churches, they don't even open the Bible. They don't even have a Bible. They don't even use the Bible. They use something like a reader's digest story or chicken soup for the Christian soul or something like that. Just something warm, positive, therapeutic. And we know there are many passages in the Bible that are warm and positive and therapeutic. But we also know that there are cold truths that must be accepted. And Peter is preaching one of them to the very crowd of people, as he said, that with their wicked hands, they were the ones, they were the crowd, they were the mob, they were, they, it was their voices, it was their voice box, it was from their heart that said, crucify him, crucify him. 50 days before. It would have been so easy for the Apostle Peter when through this amazing experience of the Holy Spirit coming down on the church and everyone speaking in tongues and now they have an enormous crowd that is gathering. The Bible says later 3,000 were saved. There was probably more that were there. Right? It would have been so easy there would have been intense pressure for him to have said almost anything other than what he said the fact of the matter is 
Bible Christianity, real Christianity, historical Christianity, authentic Christianity preaches Christ. Preaches Christ and him crucified. It always has and it always will. And if anybody begins to lean away from that, they begin to lose the power of the cross. It becomes a political movement. It becomes a fundraising movement. There become all kinds of sin that, that, that abounds in the church. God no longer is a part of that ministry. The power of the Holy Spirit is no longer present on that ministry. Why? Because it is the power of Christ. It is the power of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ where God honors that and his power is on the church. We all know that words without deeds are dead. However, deeds without words are also dead. Consider the following story that is taken from an article by Andrew Wilson, the parable of the lawnmower. He says, let's say I have a neighbor and I want to preach Christ to him using my deeds, good deeds, being a helpful, nice, kind neighbor. I greet him over the garden fence. Hello. I invite him and his wife over for dinner. I show them the best hospitality of which I am capable. I explain I'm a Christian, but I make no attempt to shove the gospel down his throat. Noticing that his garden could use a bit of work, I offer him my lawnmower, which he accepts, and eventually, through repeated usage, breaks. He breaks the lawnmower. I do not complain or ask him to replace it. I replace it myself and continue to allow him to use it whenever he sees fit. I help whenever I can. In all things, I seek to display unconditional kindness toward him and to love him as I love myself. But eventually, my neighbor dies. Now what have my actions preached to him? They have preached that Christians are people who do good things for their neighbor. They have preached that niceness and kindness and morality, upright behavior, are what make you a Christian. In short, they have preached justification by works. Your works have indeed preached something, but it isn't the gospel. Should we act like a Christian? Should we be kind? Should we be nice? Yes. Does that lead people to the saving knowledge of Christ? Does it lead them to the place where they understand that they're a sinner and that they trust Christ as their Savior? Not without preaching Christ. We preach Christ. We preach Christ. Let's look at a few verses together. Acts 5 and 42 now, I could read all these out, but if you have your Bible, I, I would challenge you to follow along, and these are all in order, okay? If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can listen along. If you would like a Bible, there's a free one on the back table you can take home with you. They're in the little package, the small Bible, okay? You can take it without asking. Acts 5 and 42. 
and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. What did the early church do? They preached Christ every time they came together. Every time they came together, they preached Christ. It doesn't mean that they didn't talk about other things. It doesn't mean they didn't study the Bible in other areas. The Apostle Paul later in the book of Acts says that uh, he did not cease to preach the whole counsel of God. But what is the focal point of Bible Christianity? It is Jesus Christ. It is preaching Jesus Christ. Look at verse uh, chapter 17 and verse 3, Acts 17 and verse number 3. Why, why are we taking the time to look at these verses? Because when we see, we see the Apostle Peter, when he gives this opportunity to preach his first sermon, what does he preach? He preaches Christ. But we need to understand that wasn't just a one-time thing. Have you guys ever started something and you started really, really well? Man, I'm going to start this diet. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to go for a jog. I'm going to do this. And you start jogging at about 500 meters like, I'm done. We've all done that, right? Okay, but what about the next day? What about the next day? And so we need to understand the first church here, they didn't just start well. Or they didn't just start with that and then move on to better things. Move on to deeper truths. No, no, no. This is Bible Christianity. Preaching Christ. Going to a church that preaches the Bible for what it is in a kind and compassionate way, the Bible says that, uh, that we should speak the truth in love, the Bible says in Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth in love. But what are we speaking? We're, we're preaching Christ. We're preaching Christ. He is the central focus of Bible Christianity. Acts 17 and verse number 3 says, okay, back up one verse, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days, three weeks, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. That name Christ is, he is the anointed. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen of God. He is the prophesied from the, before the world began. He is the one. He is the one. And that's what the church has always done. When the Apostle Paul, when Peter was preaching to Jews, what was his message? Christ. When Paul went and he preached in other cities that were not Jewish towns and perhaps were not even familiar with Judaism or the Old Testament, what was his message? Christ. What, does, what message does this world need? It needs Christ. It needs Christ. I'm using this to record. I'm not texting my friends, right? I need to make sure I clarify that. So um, Romans 15 and verse number 20, where in Acts, the very next book is Romans. Romans 15 and verse number 20. Look at verse 19, verse 18. For I, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, 
through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. That while though the Apostle Paul had the power to perform miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, that was just a tool that God gave him. Why? Not for the purpose of helping people, even though that is a good thing. Not just for the purpose of drawing a crowd and certainly not for the purpose of bringing attention to himself. It was for the purpose of being able to supernaturally show that Jesus is the Christ. He preached Christ. Verse number 20, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. We have a missions program here at Sparrow Baptist Church where those who are called by God go to other countries to preach the gospel where Christ is not named or perhaps they've heard of him. This world needs Christ. It doesn't need a new government. It doesn't just need another peace treaty because here's the question. If we, the goal, I need a bookmark. The goal of Christianity, please listen, in the light of everything that you see on the news, the goal of Christianity is not for us to make this world a better place to die and go to hell from. If there is peace, world peace, we're all still going to die. It is appointed unto man. Mankind wants to die. After this, the judgment. It's appointed unto us once to die. And after that, if you have a birth date, God knows one day you will have a death date. It's appointed. We are sinners. The, listen, the greatest proof that we are sinners is that there is death in this world. Prove to me that sin is a thing. You're going to die. You go down Bloor, they've got a big cemetery on the left-hand side as you go up the street over the bridge. Uh, we've got, you know, it's funny nowadays, uh, some parents are like, oh, don't talk to my kids about death. By the way, every Disney movie starts with the parents dying. Your kids know about death. Don't be afraid to talk to your kids about death. They need to know they will not live forever and they need to know about Christ. What, 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 what is happening in the back room with the kiddos? Guess, what, guess what's taking place? My wife and the teachers, they're preaching Christ. That's what they're doing. That is our hope. He defeated death that it's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. We will be judged. We will stand before God for the things done in our bodies, whether they be good or whether they be bad. That little twinge in your conscience, that little pitter-patter of the heart, that little thing that tries to tell you to stop, don't do it, right before you do something against your conscience. What is that? In the grand scheme of what people want to describe as evolution, why have a conscience? There's an awareness. One day, I will be brought into judgment for the decision I'm making right now. Cannot be hid. Oh, pastor, that's negative. 
positive talk without truth of the full picture is abuse. This world wants to talk positive without really talking about the real problem. What's the real problem? Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. We will not have peace amongst ourselves unless first we have peace with God. Christ is the Prince of Peace. If I have peace in my heart, he gives me the strength and the power to then have peace with others. And until that point, there is no hope. Christ is our hope. We preach Christ. What did the Apostle Paul do when he traveled around? He preached Christ. That was his job. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, just a few more pages. Isn't it interesting that if you were to if we were to take the time and go through a thorough study of the book of Corinthians, Corinth is like one of the worst churches the world has ever seen. It's probably one of the worst churches in the Bible. Okay? They were fighting all the time. They had secret, not secret, but they had groups where they were a part of one group and they hated the other group. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They had infidelity going on in the church. One, one, one young man was sleeping with his father's wife, not his mother, but his father's. I mean, it, and it was known. And I mean, it was just, it was a constant competition. Who was the most spiritual? Always done in a very fleshly way. It's not the kind of church that any one of us would want to go to. We would go there and be like, wow, this is a lot. I don't think, I don't think this is okay. And it's interesting from the very beginning, what does the Apostle Paul focus on when it comes to these divisions when it's coming to the fighting, how does he solve the fighting in this church? Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The only reason to get baptized is because you've accepted Christ as your savior. Oh, pastor, we know that. Move on. Nah, stop. There's something about human beings that want to perform a, a ritual, but they don't really want to turn their heart over to Christ. It's okay to get wet. Even publicly get wet. Kaboosh, and you come up. One time, the first, one of the first people I baptized when we were in Nepal uh, was this young lady. She got saved. It was awesome. We had a, a baptismal tank. And, um, you know, the kind of houses they have over there, concrete and the floor, the, the roofs are flat. Right, so they have a staircase that leads up to the roof, and and they've got the uh, they hang the laundry up there, and it's kind of a place to sit out in the sun, and it, they don't have a lot of room, right, down on the ground, um, and so that's kind of like their their yard space almost. It's like their patio. It's up on the roof, and uh, some of you know what exactly what I'm talking about. Well, that's where we would baptize. We would put the baptistry tank, the tanky. They called it a tanky, right? Uh, they put the tanky up top, this big, huge metal uh, baptistry tank, and we fill it up with water, and uh, it kind of looked like a big, giant horse trough. And she, um, you know, it was time for her to get baptized, and she was just as nervous as could be, and uh, she came out, and, you know, like a horse trough is, you know, a little bit, maybe maybe, maybe two feet deep or two and a half feet deep full of water and kind of raised up a little bit. So she got in and sat down, and then I said the words, and she grabbed her nose, and I started going down, and... And, uh, and we found that a lot of people in the city, they had never really been in water before. 
right? They would take sponge baths, but they, I mean, there's not a lot of bodies of water in Nepal, so they'd never been swimming. Of course, they couldn't afford to go to a swimming pool or anything like that. A lot of them, a lot of them were scared of water. And maybe she was one of these to be completely immersed. She pinched her nose and, and I went down and then all of a sudden she resisted. She tightened up and the water was right here. And she's just, and, and I had a decision to make. It, it, maybe it'd have been like, okay for me to just be like, okay, you know, whatever. But I'm just like, nope. And I just kind of, <laughs> and got her all the way wet. Why do we get baptized? Is there anything about the water that washes away our sin? Is there something that the physical, that thing? No, 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 listen. All we're doing is we're showing something outwardly that, that has taken place inside. When we fully give our heart to Jesus Christ, the Bible calls that we've been, we've been immersed in Christ. We are completely belong to him now. He has completely saved us. We've been baptized in Christ. And so now we're showing it publicly. We're identifying with him publicly. That's what we're doing. And the Apostle Paul said, listen, his primary job was not to go around and just baptize people or not necessarily even baptize converts. Perhaps other people did that. He said his job was to go around and preach Christ. That was his job. He said, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Listen, friend, you say, well, I've got this lost family member. I've got this friend. I've got this neighbor. And I don't know how to answer their questions. You tell them what Jesus has done for you. Their story is going to be different. I've had people ask me before, why are you a Christian? And they were, in, they were genuine. They weren't trying to be negative. They were just very genuinely curious. Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Well, let me tell you why I'm a Christian. Because I heard the story of Jesus. Let me, let me rephrase that. I heard the truth about Jesus Christ and how he loved me and I realized that I was a sinner. So many people have so many things wrong with them and they've got so many struggles and they've got so many problems and they think the world keeps telling them, you can do this. You can do this or blame it on somebody else and you can do this. Let me tell you something. The greatest news that Jesus came with, one of which is you are a sinner. What a relief. Amen. Now I know what's wrong with me. And if I know what's wrong with me, I know who can save me from that sin. And it's Jesus Christ. He's the only one. I heard the gospel and I believe. Now, obviously, there's more details than that. But that's the gist. Somebody loved me enough to preach Christ. We don't, listen, we don't preach prayer. Oh, just pray and ask Jesus to save you. Don't preach prayer. Preach Christ. Christ is who died on the cross for us, not a prayer. We preach Christ, not church. You need to come to church. That's great. But when you come here, guess what you're going to hear? You're going to hear Christ. Accept Christ. It's not about you becoming a Baptist. It's not about you changing a religion. It's not about, we're not preaching baptism. Oh, just get baptized. Listen, we're not preaching confirmation. Confirmation, what does that do for anybody? Now you have some beliefs and now you're a member of a church. But what about your soul, my friend? What about your soul? What about that part of you that lives forever? Jesus Christ is very God. He's creator God. And he died for all of us 
That while I could die for one person, if someone was about to die or if the bus was about to run in front of somebody, I could shove them out of the way and take the hit myself. And I would say one life. But that's just me and that's just one and you for the same. But when Christ died on the cross, he is God in the flesh. He is infinite God, creator God. And when he gave up his body to die on the cross, because he's so uh, more infinitely valuable than you or I, God himself, he died for all of us. And we can all find hope and salvation in that one sacrifice. This world needs the message of Christ. We could go on and on and on. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, same chapter, and then we'll move on. It says, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We preach Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, let me read this for you. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. We could follow that same theme throughout the New Testament. The New Testament church, the first church, what was their message? Their message was Christ. It needs to always be Jesus Christ. You say, well, my faith is a little stale. I've grown up knowing about Christ. I've trusted him as my savior. Go back to him and study him more. He is the source. He is the fountain. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. We don't need more programs. We need more Jesus. Amen. 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 The Apostle Paul said that I may know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Notice in Acts chapter 2. It says in verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Isn't it funny how unbelievers have a strange explanation of what believers do? And it's never accurate. They try to understand it. They're trying to understand what's going on at the first church of Jerusalem. They're walking around and they're, listen, they're speaking the gospel in tongues. They're speaking the gospel. They're telling them about Jesus, but they're hearing it in their own language. They're not hearing it through the language of the, of the apostles. They're not hearing it through, they're Galilean individuals, most likely speaking Aramaic, and they're not hearing that. They're hearing their own dialect. How is this possible? Are all of you language experts? No, of course not. What is going on here? And they had a strange explanation of what's going on. According to one commentator, Albert Barnes, he said it was a regular practice with the Jews not to eat or drink anything until after the third hour of the day, about nine o'clock or so, especially on the Sabbath and on all festival occasions. Sometimes this abstinence was maintained until noon. So universal was this custom that the apostle could appeal to it with confidence as a full refutation of the charge of drunkenness at this hour. He's like, guys, come on, you know this. We're not drunk. We haven't even eaten yet, is what he's trying to say. And that's why he says that the way that he says it. But then he immediately goes 
And he begins to quote the prophet Joel. And we can read these verses. We can read the prophet Joel as well, but we can read the verses beginning in verse number 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, I'll talk about that in a moment, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show, which is what was happening. They were prophesying, meaning they were declaring the gospel. They were giving the gospel. They were, they were forth telling the gospel. They were preaching Christ. And that's what was happening at this time. And then it says in, in verse number 19, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we back up to the part where it talks about and it shall come to pass in the last days, this expression was understood by the writers of the New Testament as referring undoubtedly to the times of the gospel or the church age, the last age or the last days. It's talking about this is the age of the church. This is the last stage of humanity before Christ comes back and establishes his earthly kingdoms. These are the last days. The Bible says in Hebrews 1 and verse 2, it says, hath, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. First Peter 1 and verse number 20 says, speaking of Christ, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or made known in these last times for you. Second Peter 3.3 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Man, don't we see that nowadays? Scoffers, mockers. The first coming of Christ ushered in the last days. It, it, there was a transition, the dispensation, the time period. If you want to understand the Bible, you think, well, man, the Old Testament's so confusing. There is a way to understand it. And that's not the, the point of this sermon. But when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a transition. There's a change. And Jesus is the one that ushered in the change. And so this period now is called the last days. And that's what he's describing from the book of Joel. He's trying to explain, he's trying to explain what you're seeing today in light of Scripture. Man, don't we need to learn that lesson? We need to learn to understand what is happening today based on what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about what is happening today? We preach Christ in light of current events. Oh, pastor, let's talk about all the prophecies that relate to Israel and Palestine. We need to preach Christ. We need to preach Christ. Oh, let's talk about Ukraine and Russia. We need to preach Christ. Amen. Oh, let's talk about North Korea and China and what they're up to and how they're meeting with Putin and all this and that or another. We need to preach Christ. Amen. We need to preach Christ. 1 John, 2, 8, uh, 1 John 2 and 18 says, Little children, it is the last time. These are the last times. 
And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, and even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Matthew 24. Let's turn our Bibles there. Matthew 24. I'm almost done. We're not going to get through all of his sermon. We'll split it up into two pieces. The message of Peter. He preaches Christ. How does he interpret what's happening today? Current events. He interprets it through the Bible and then he preaches Christ. Because of Christ, this is what's happening. Christ came. Christ is coming back. You need to get saved. That's his sermon. That's basically what he said. Matthew 24. Verse number three. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. (gasps) Some people's favorite topic. What does Jesus say? Verse four. And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars, are we? And rumors of wars, are we? Is it the last time? It's the last time. We're in the last stage. What's the next thing that needs to happen? Christ needs to come back. This is the warning. Are we seeing the signs? We're seeing the signs. Oh, what about the blood and the, and the, and the, and the, and the vapors of smoke and all, all that other stuff? That comes after Christ comes back, after where the church is raptured. We'll get into that later. Okay? Notice it says in verse number uh, uh, six, see that ye be not troubled. Oh my goodness. Let's, let's, let's read that once again. Nice flow. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The end comes when Jesus says the end comes. Meaning before he comes back, before he raptures believers back to heaven, that's the end. That's when the end starts. These are the last times. Then there's the end. Don't be confused. Okay? You say, oh man, pastor, end times. It's so confusing. Yeah, amen, it is. The intention is not for us to be confused. Listen, when the days and the times are confusing, what should we focus on? preaching Christ. Living for him and preaching Christ. That's what we need to focus on. Don't be troubled, he says. Don't be fearful. Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation. Do we see that? And kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines. Do we see that? We do. Even in the United States. Places you think, oh, it's never going to happen there. It's happening. Mississippi Delta dries a bone. They're having a, they're having a truck in fresh water in certain parts. And pestilences. What's a pestilence? Pandemics. Pandemics. Diseases. That's what I was talking about. Do we see that? I mean, we just went through one. And earthquakes. Do we see earthquakes? You see them all the time on the news. Big earthquakes. And diverse places in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Let's go back. We don't have the time to go through, and we will. We're going we're gonna to march through this sermon verse by verse over the next couple of weeks. 
So come back. We're, we're, but we're not, we're not just going to read a verse and discard it and march on. We're going to make sure we understand it. What we need to understand with Peter is simply this. They're speaking in tongues. He goes to the prophet Joel and he says this was prophesied. God knows this was prophesied. This is meant to happen. This is on God's timetable. This is from the Lord. We need to learn to do that with current events. So after he explains to him what's going on, and we'll get into it next time, but he basically then goes on immediately to Christ and he says, Christ died on the cross, was raised from the dead. That was prophesied. And then they said, what should we do? And he says, repent and believe. Call on the name of the Lord. Oh, listen, allow the preaching of Christ and allow current events and allow the word of God to resonate with you so that it results in a change of mind so that you believe Christ. That's what he's saying. We need a fresh message of that today. We get so focused on what's happening in our lives, on trying to get through work, on trying to, on trying to do well at our job, or some people are so worried about what's going on in the world and how's that going to affect me, and, and this is happening and that's happening, and, and interest rates, and on and on and on and on. What should it do? It should lead us to come back to Christ and back to the Word of God and realize that God prophesied. He knows, and his prophet said in the last times, Things are going to be unstable. Kingdoms are going to rise. Kingdoms are going to fall. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. But the one thing that remains is Christ. We can trust him. And when we trust him as our savior, we will be with him. And then the judgment will come on the wicked and we'll learn about that later. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. We preach Christ and Him crucified.